0: Okay, so welcome back to another episode of the Python People podcast, uh, the home for global technology leaders to share insights with the tech community. And uh, a warm welcome to this week's guest, uh, Dan. Dan, thank you for being here with us today. How are you? I am really good,
1: thank you. We're recording this for Friday, so it's a nice, relaxed day.
0: It is a Friday, isn't it? We are nearly there, nearly uh, nearly June 2. So uh, looking forward to it. But uh, no, Dan, thank you very much for being here with us today. And, and uh, for those of you that don't know, Dan McNeil, you are the head of engineering for iTech Media. Yep. And um, I guess to frame today's episode, um, we're going to talk about you, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. And um, the reason being so, you know, in particular, we want to talk about your story in tech today and um, I guess how that story has is, is shaped. Your personal management style um, as a, as a technology leader, because I think one of the things that yeah, first intrigued me about you um, when i when I read your LinkedIn page, uh, I think you know, the first line of your LinkedIn profile is not your typical engineering leader, and uh, you know, that definitely kind of piqued my interest and uh, you yeah, from when we got chatting, yeah we had a good chat and got to know each other a bit better. I think we in our first chat we covered off quite a few uh, you know what could be called the hot topics i guess you know um, around representation and Uh, diversity, mental health in the workplace and and all those kind of things and I think listening to your views on a lot of those topics, you know, I think you, you do have a very unique and uh, refreshing approach and uh, as such, thought it would be fantastic to, you know, to get together and do an episode with you and i uh, yeah, really grateful that you've uh, you've come along and, and you know, happy to share your story. So um, without further ado, uh, it would be great to hear a little, little bit from you, you know, hear your story and uh, how you've kind of arrived at where you are today. Uh, so yeah, if you'd be so kind to give us a little intro, that would be, that would be great.
1: Yeah, I can give you the whistle-stop tour of how I got here. I I did a maths degree, and I think I, I always kind of knew at the back of my mind I was going to do a maths degree. It was through school what I was obviously going to do. So I ended up doing a maths degree at Cambridge, and then the options were seemed to be either accountancy or software development. They were the two options, and I didn't fancy accountancy, so I kind of went into software development um, kind of by default. Um during the the course at university we didn't write much code we did some algorithmic stuff where you like kind of solve these type of equations or model this, but it wasn't really about the code it was more about you know just codifying how you're going to solve this problem and so in my first job i you know turned up as a developer on my first 3 4 weeks were on a C plus c++ course and that's how i got into development right. but over time i moved to london moved into the world of mobile phones i was at symbian for best part of 10 years um and that's where I kind of realized that actually could do the coding but it wasn't where my passion lay and also I was never going to be as good at it as the people for whom it was a passion so I moved into more what you call coordination roles and then leadership roles so release management project management and then moving into managing small teams into managing larger teams and, and then kind of now managing whole the engineering within whole business units, which is what I've done for the past few years. So these days, my roles are more about managing managers than managing the individual devs. And I actually think I've got a lot more to, I've got a lot more to, to give to a manager than a dev. And, um, you know, I love working with devs. The coding is still there in my mind so I can understand what they're talking about. I can read the code, I can understand what they're doing. I've been there, but actually I'm the wrong person these days to tell a junior front-end dev what the next best thing to learn or do is for their career because I'm so far removed from it, so long since I did coding that I'm not, not the right person to do that. The other thing that shaped me where I am, that's the logistics, is when I started out in my career, Um, And in fact, even, you know, when I'd done placements, industrial placements during the summer holidays from university, whatever, uh, leaders were kind of strong personality, confident white men. That was it. That, That was what a leader was. And a leader was somebody who knew the answers and they told people the answers and they told people what to do. And a good leader would be somebody who occasionally delegated stuff. That was kind of the model of a leader. And I went through probably the first half of my career, a good many years, with those leaders as role models. And that's no disrespect to the leaders I had around me at that time. You know, I had some great managers and some great departmental leaders. But largely, it was that was, that was the style of leadership. That's what you saw. And I started to doubt would I actually fit into that? know my passion was obviously moving towards leadership and coordination and helping and facilitating rather than the doing of the code but I didn't I wasn't like the other people that I'd seen doing that you know I no desire to tell people what they do or be a tyrant or have people scared of me or shout at people I have no desire to do any of that at all and so it took a long time for me to realize that actually there is another way to still achieve a path into leadership. Now, thankfully, the world's come to a place now where leaders who are more like me, especially in you know, the industries I've been in, it's more tech oriented, are more valued. But I think there is still a perception if you ask people, what does a leader look like? What does a manager look like? There's still this idea that it's somebody who tells people what to do. Mm. and um I I also noticed that all the leaders came across as confidence they came across as sure of themselves if they did have any self-doubt they certainly weren't expressing it they certainly wouldn't express any self-doubt or vulnerability to the team they would maintain a facade of I know what I'm doing and I'm the leader to the team and I didn't want to do that and I still don't. You know, there are obviously times where, as a leader, you have to be a role model for the team. So you have to model the mature behavior of not panicking in the face of uncertainty and of accepting that things may change and of respecting the confidentiality of news that has to be shared in a certain way, all that kind of stuff. But I found that actually my leadership style has evolved into being very open about who I am and what I'm feeling and the stuff that makes me happy and the stuff that doesn't make me happy and the things I'm not sure about and the things I don't like doing but are necessary and what I've found in recent years is that people react to that very well you know it's much easier to give people some bad news or talk people through a difficult decision if you actually share with them the fact it was a difficult decision and why it was a difficult decision and why this thing that wasn't obvious had to be done because of this other stuff going on. Um, you know, one of the, the, the key challenges we see a lot in tech is we see commercial pressure to deliver things more quickly than the ideal technical solution would allow us to deliver. You know, we would like to re-architect. We would like to re-baseline whatever tech we're using we would like to bring in some new tech and sometimes there isn't the time to do that and there can be the tension between the tech world wanting to do things in a certain way and the commercial world saying well we just need to get something out the door and sell it and I found that um, it works much better and actually there's less tension when as a leader you're just very honest with the tech team and say actually I know this isn't exactly how we want to do it, but the commercial reality is if we do this and get the revenue in, that will pay for us to do it the way we want to do in the future. That will pay for us to reinvest. The flip side of that, of course, is that you need to have a culture good enough that that actually happens. You need to come back and address the tech debt or come back and do the refactoring you wanted to do in the first place or add the non-functional requirements that you couldn't get into the MVP because there wasn't time. Um, and I see it, much as it's my responsibility to be transparent and open with the team, it's also my responsibility to represent them to the rest of the business as well. So it's my responsibility to deliver on the the kind of contract we make with the team, which is, if we do this now, this is what will happen in future.
0: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Well, firstly, thanks for that. as an intro. Yeah. It was a very... uh honest and i think refreshing <laughs> intro to be honest and um you know you strike me as somebody that's incredibly self-aware and you know you draw a light some really good points there i think you know leadership historically rightly or wrongly you know there are these traits that very much are associated to leaders in industry and um you know, clearly one of the things that you know, i totally agree with you by the way actually being able to show vulnerability you know i think it's, it's human to kind of um, maybe maybe it's from childhood, you know, when we, we sort of get receive that judgment for the first time, we get those learnt patterns about, you know, it's not a good thing to expose your vulnerabilities and then we've got to relearn that later on in life and actually realise it's not a bad thing. Uh, in many ways, it's, it's a real positive thing and I think about the leaders that I have re- really respected and been drawn uh, to in the past and they are people that are just, wholly genuine and you know and I don't judge them for their vulnerabilities or their weaknesses and um, you know if anything I, I kind of really respect that um but for you for you personally what what do you are there particular traits that you really model yourself on as a leader and you know, what, what do you think are, there, are the most valuable traits I guess as a as a leader
1: I think authenticity is
0: important
1: I think that People are not stupid and they can easily see through a leader who is towing a company line mm. or spinning a story because, you know, we want to get this thing done. So we'll make up something about what will happen in the future, but then never deliver on it. Yeah. People are not stupid and it, it feels disrespectful to not be authentic with people. And being authentic with people means giving the bad news as well as the good, but doing it authentically. You know, people are not stupid, but the people in the teams are adults. They're adults who can deal with a level of uncertainty. They can deal with a level of bad news. They can deal with a level of things not going quite how they want it to. And I I think there's, there's many leaders who feel the need to justify their lack of transparency by saying it's for the best for the team. You know, if we tell the team this, they will panic. If we tell the team this, they will not know how to deal with it. Mm. Um, And I think it's better to be authentic within the bounds of what's possible, show what you can with the team and support them through that if they have difficulty with it, rather than presume they won't be able to deal with it. Mm. I think it's also very important to be authentic about who you are as a leader. I spent a long time trying to be the kind of leader i wasn't to fit in with the leadership group i was part of um you know i i I had a um leader who i looked up to for, for quite a few years who would tell me that emotion had no place in the workplace and that all decisions had to be entirely rational and the best way to create a team was to make sure that nobody felt any emotions about work and then we could just operate entirely rationally and we'd never have any problems because people would never get upset about things because they weren't emotionally invested and I think at the time I maybe didn't have the self-assurance to say well that's bs isn't it you know people are going to feel you can't tell people not to feel sad at bad news or not to feel happy at good news and I think the the contradiction in there is that the same company that's saying to people, you're not allowed to feel frustrated. You're not allowed to feel these emotions would expect people to feel the positive emotions at things like getting a bonus or good company news. And you can't tell people, you know, you're allowed to feel this set of emotions, but not that set of emotions.
0: Mm. Yeah, a- absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, personally speaking, I've, I've been on the other side of the coin you know where you talk about telling the company line, and ironically I think it's nicer for the for the for the manager as well when they can really sit in that place of authenticity and not sort of especially the kind of middle management layer where you haven't necessarily feel like you've got to regurgitate this message that you don't agree with because I, right. I I totally agree with you you know that um, emotion empathy you know actually being able to you know pass a message on somebody in a really authentic way i think is 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 a real key trait of a leader but if it doesn't align with the bigger company vision or the company value very often you can hit this kind of limbo or this very kind of difficult middle ground as a as a manager where you don't know really what what's um, what's the right course of action and i've definitely been there myself Yeah, you know, multiple times where i haven't agreed with um you know the course of action at the top or company policies in certain areas but you know you, can't really say what you really think because it's going against the, the man or, or the powers that be, and uh, it's not a nice place, it's really not a nice place to be. And I often, say many companies that kind of middle management layer is the most over races, uh, place to be, yeah, uh, because it, unless you can really fully be in a role in a culture that you're really happy with, um, because yeah, very often, you know, not, not always, but very often, it's it kind of is a job where it comes with okay a little bit more pay but usually a hell of a lot more stress and uh, a lot more you know concern worry and responsibility and and, sort of, and certainly prior to the pandemic have a huge impact on on quality of life um so i think you know companies really do need to if they they have managers they really need to actually listen to their managers rather than them being sort of the you know the the, the messenger boys and girls of the world that can sort of just regurgitate a company line even if they don't necessarily agree with it. Um, so,
1: yeah. I think you're right. I think people in that middle management layer can often be directed on what to do with the team. And then if that goes wrong, you know, you have an attrition problem, you have something else, you have a motivation problem, they're just told, oh, well, that's yours to sort by the senior management. And that feels a little bit one way. You know, the the managers who manage the individual contributors are the people who know what's happening in the teams. They know much more than I do what the feeling is of all the people that they work with in the team because it's just, a, you know, as a human being, you can only maintain that level of closeness day-to-day with a certain number of people. And so... Um, You know, if a manager comes to me and says, actually, I've got a motivation problem in the team, I've got a retention problem in the team, it's important for me to listen to it and not just say, we'll fix it then.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, But I think the the other thing, you know, whilst it's good to be authentic, you obviously do have to sometimes just disagree and commit. You know, Mm -hmm. you do sometimes need to, within the management group, you can be deciding on a strategy or a decision and say, well, it's not what I would have done but I understand the reasons for it. And now I'm going to authentically tell people what that decision is or what the policy is or what the the action is. Mm. But I think you can, even within disagree and commit, you can still retain your authenticity. If If that's what you know what you're doing, if you explicitly say, well, it's not what I would have done, But I'm happy to do it. You know, it's like if you go with a group of friends and there's several restaurants to choose from, and you end up going to one that's not your choice, you can still authentically have a decent meal, and you'd be, you know, you wouldn't sit there all night saying, "Well, it's not what I wanted to eat." Mm. You just have to go. Okay, that decision's made. I had my input there. Now it's time to act on that. And actually, I teams know that happen again you know they're not stupid that happens within teams as well it happens within a tech team that will be two possible technology choices and there'll be a decision made and maybe up to 50 percent of the team won't like the decision but they're not going to refuse to work on the
0: technology mm. yeah that's a very good point actually that's a very good point um and you know people's um ongoing happiness at work i think um well we actually spoke quite heavily about mental health the first time we spoke. Um I know, it's something that's quite certainly important for both of us. Um but as a leader and uh you know you obviously manage through managers, how what sort of tactics do you employ, I guess, to uh be able to safeguard people's mental health and and do you have any um particular tactics that you use to to recognize, you know, when somebody's in a, a place where they really do need help and, and maybe on that sort of brink of burnout
1: so for me it's about creating a safe space where people can express that kind of stuff and then when you ask somebody the question look are you okay they're not going to feel like they just have to say yes because it's the manager asking or because it's somebody more senior asking um there still is a lot of stigma around mental health though you know i i I've had a tough week for mental health in the week we're recording this, but I still find if people say, How's it going? I'm still very reluctant to say actually it's not been a great week for my mental health. Whereas if I'd gone out and broken my leg on Wednesday and people say how it's going, I'd go, broken my leg. Mm. And there still is even, you know, somebody who's as open with it as I am, there's still that stigma. I think we need to do what we can to remove that in the workplace. But we need to recognise that not everybody's going to be comfortable telling the manager that they are feeling low and can't work or they're feeling anxious about something coming up and would like to take a different approach mm. but we've got to do what we can to support people whether they're open with that or not so we can give resources to everybody we can look at how we manage people how we appraise people it's important not to promote the people who are doing the most work it's important to promote the people who have the greatest impact. And you don't have the greatest impact by working yourself into the ground 12 hours a day. Mm-hmm. It's important to hold up role models who aren't the people working weekends and working evenings and taking everything on themselves. It's important to recognize the people who achieve things by working with other people. The the people who have a great impact by coming up with the ideas and working with other people to implement them, not the people who have an idea for a tool so spend all day Sunday coding it. Mm. Also, I think the way you can create a safe space is to behave yourself as though the space is safe. That's quite a (laughs) tongue-tester. But um, if you go into a space sharing your own vulnerabilities and expressing things which are uncertain, and talking about how you might not be feeling great about something, or you might be concerned about something. You set an example, and it's not necessarily, it's not a hierarchical thing where people will follow what their manager do, but people do take their cues from the people they view as being the people in control. Control Control's a dirty word, but the people they view as having the influence, the people who they view as being successful. They will model their behavior on those people, regardless of hierarchy. And so it's important for me to say, actually, I have the kind of brain that judges myself very harshly, and I don't find it easy to take constructive criticism. I do take it because it's, you know, part of the thing I have to do, but I don't find it easy. So if somebody else doesn't find it easy either, they're not going to think, well, I can't be a leader unless I've learned how to make this easy. They can Mm -hmm. say, well, I can't be a successful leader unless I've found a way to do this thing. It doesn't have to be easy. It might never be easy, but you need to find a way to do it. Um, You know, one of the things I do in my spare time is I sing a lot. I actually take singing lessons. And when you get to some notes with some tones and some things you do in singing are not easy. And I say to you know my voice coach, will it ever get easy? And he says, no, it won't. You just have to get comfortable with the fact you're doing something difficult. It will never be second nature. It will never be easy. Um, I'm not a sporty person, but I think the same's probably the same of sports people. You know, if you look at an Olympic gymnast, even to them what they're doing is not easy. They're pushing themselves. They're doing stuff they know is difficult. But they've found a way to be comfortable with doing something which is difficult. Yeah. And I think it's about giving people the space to find individual ways to achieve things. You know, as a leader, as a developer, as an architect, as a whatever, you have a list of things which need doing in the role. There are certain things that you can't adjust within what's required of the role. You know, if you're managing people, you need to do performance reviews with them. You need to give them feedback. You need to approve salaries. You need to do all this kind of stuff with them. So I think it's not about saying, how do we change it so that people don't need to do the stuff that uh, doesn't come naturally? It's about creating a safe space where people can find their own way to achieve what needs to be achieved.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a very, very good point.
1: I think one of the biggest mistakes I made early in my career was to copy role models rather than be inspired by them. Mm.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a very good point about safe space. And like you said, you know, somebody can either do a job where they can't fundamentally. It, 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 it's crux um, when they first start doing the job. That's not to say they can never get to the place of do yeah. the job. But I think creating that safe space is allowing people to admit when they're struggling, or, or creating a, um, an environment where it's okay to admit that you're not perfect yet, or it's okay to admit that you're still on that that learning curve. And 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 I really relate that to recruitment in many ways because you know in, in other businesses I've worked in the past, um, there is definitely. You know that kind of old school, stereotypical kind of mentality of you know not being able to, kind of bravado, not being able to admit when you're finding something difficult, and it's just why you need to crack on, just carry on doing it, and just keep going. And all right, yeah, you can do that for a certain period of time, but but fundamentally, you know, it's not sustainable, and and ultimately the business doesn't actually do better as a result because the person isn't actually learning. They just sort of, uh, or if they are learning, they're learning at a much slower pace than they would be if they're able to actually turn around and just say look i am really really struggling with this and uh, it's really getting on top of me and i need to find a way to do it um so um yeah i think that that safe space element you know, the environment the culture the business is absolutely akin to that and um and i guess around culture you know being a, a leader being able to influence and, and shape culture obviously is a, a huge part of of your role and um you yeah, know we're we're entering into what I call the new normal now, off the back of a, a couple of very, very turbulent years. Um, you know, for, been a horrendous couple of years for lots of reasons, but I also think a lot of positive shifts have taken place over the course of the last couple of years as well. And I'm really interested at the minute in the conversations I'm having with with uh, you know, management and leaders of, of various businesses about what prolonged changes, you know, what fundamental changes they've actually made to their company culture. You know, versus the, the holding pattern of let's just try and see our way through these tough times and then we'll go straight back to where we were of you know five days a week in the office or whatever. Um, so I'm quite interested to understand from from your point of view, how do you feel um, you you are able to cr- shape culture, um, and how do you feel the pandemic has had an impact on you know a, a company's culture with the whole push to remote working versus being on site and you know, how do you sort of see that whole paradigm playing out uh, moving forward?
1: I, I don't see a world in which we'll ever go back to an expectation that people are in the office all or most of the time but then again if we had been having this conversation two years ago I wouldn't have foreseen a world in which the opposite would have happened so things can there might be something I can't think of which is going to change the world in such a way that we all want to go into the office again. But barring that, I think what's happened in the pandemic, as well as people working from home, and I think that has... I mean, I've I've believed in working from home as a viable option for years. I mean, my other half here in the house has worked from home for years, full-time. And I, even before the pandemic, was doing one or two days a week at home. But I think what it's proved is to those people who had misconceptions about what working from home is, it's proved that businesses can still flourish. You know, many businesses suffered really badly in the pandemic. But I don't think businesses, tech businesses, whose staff were suddenly working from home rather than in the office, I don't think that affected anyone's bottom line. The industry they were in, or a job that couldn't be done from home because it required some physical interaction, they suffered. But I think it's shown to the people who are always sceptical that you can run a successful business without having people together every day. Mm. I think that the other thing it's done is it has normalized people having a healthy work-life balance, which is a bit of a cliche. But if you remember back to the first lockdown, everybody was more concerned with well-being than they were with work. And we were thinking nothing of, oh, the schools are closed, so somebody in the team's got three kids at home, so their attention is not going to be on work as much as it was because they've got three kids, you know. They're trying to homeschool them, but, you know, it's a it's a disruption. And that that became normal. That became accepted as actually people's kids might interrupt a Zoom call. People's kids might do something which requires a person to go right give me a second i've just got to go and sort this out Mm. and i hope we never lose that yeah because i think it's forced us not only to say actually where people sit doesn't make a difference to how productive they are but where people's attention is doesn't make much difference either it doesn't matter whether somebody takes an hour out of the afternoon to go and get the kids from school, get them home, get them a snack and get them on the sofa, doing whatever they're doing and comes back to some meetings, it really doesn't make any difference to productivity. And I think even though we had, you know, legislation that should protect those kind of rights, and we had people talking about a culture in which we protect those kind of rights, I have come across cases firsthand of people who've not been promoted because they work four days a week because of childcare or people who are considered not eligible for a team leader position because they leave at 3:30 every day to go and do the afternoon school run and i hope that the pandemic has got rid of that nonsense and said that actually people don't have to be robotically working from this time to this time in this place with their attention here in order to be effective at what they're doing
0: yeah absolutely absolutely uh, and yeah it goes back to the old adage of really what hopefully it's highlighted is that as you know, people we should work to live not live to work and um i remember i remember actually i mean i started Tuning north just before the the global pandemic which is obviously a nice time to start any any business especially a recruitment business um but i started literally two or three months before the proverbial hit the fan and uh I remember one one of my big pushes was you know to to work from home more and see see the kids more because you know I know that the biggest source of my unhappiness really in life that I've had in in recent memory um, was was due to my work life balance um, and sort of being expected to be in the office you know seven thirty in the morning not you know, if you left the office before six thirty seven in the evening you got got frowned upon and. Um, it just i've done it for 10 years and i was at the point of, of genuine burnout and and i started the business uh very much wanting to work from home but still in that kind of you know mindset i guess i've been sort of programmed to still have that kind of mindset and uh i remember being on calls and like my dog being outside barking and thinking oh my god this is like so unprofessional it just sounds so bad whereas you know <laughs> the pandemic happened uh, which obviously isn't a funny matter but it's just comical how much it has changed people's perspective on things because we went from that where i was you know end of 2019 to six months later you know doing a doing a call with a client probably with my dog on my lap or something like that you know because i think people have hopefully realized that this this bubble that we're all living in just that is totally imposed upon us by powers that be and you know the the, the the few controlling the masses uh is an illusion really it didn't need to be that way um or it certainly didn't need to be that way for people's general health and happiness and uh you know there's something i really built very strongly into the foundations of what i want true north as a business to be you know our mission it, it always sounds i guess quite quite cheesy and esoteric when i say it but i genuinely believe it is that we want people to be happy at work you know we want to make people happier at work and you know if we're consulting with a candidate and we're putting them forward to a role and the role that we're putting them forward for isn't genuinely going to improve their situation or isn't a role that's actually going to give them more fulfillment or make them happier we won't place them into that role as simple as that you know we'd much rather they go to another role or they go to stay where they are or whatever it is and that's something that you know i think hopefully does permeate throughout our business but it's also something i'm very passionate about continuing for employees that we have um to the degree that i think you have to have rules i think you have to have parameters absolutely but we've got people in the business that you know want one uh guy who's um you know he's, he's absolutely dedicated and passionate about van life right so he wants to um he is in the middle of developing a van at the moment and you know he wants to be able to go off traveling around europe for you know three six months at a time living out his van and um yeah and i said look cool it's absolutely fine as long as you know what you wherever you are whatever job you're doing um you know you can you've got good internet you've got a place you can you can make phone calls when you need to you know if you can do your job effectively from wherever you are go, go and do it and i think that's really you know um the mentality and the mindset that I hope the, the world is adopting more so now uh, because I just know how much of an impact it, it can have on, you know, fulfilment and, and mental health and, and all the above. So, uh, you
1: know, we, we have a concept at iTech which we call Work Your Way um, and it, it's exactly what it says on the tin. And it, it, it's it's used as a statement quite a lot to inform people that, if you need to leave a bit early to go and get your dog groomed, do it you know the The business is not going to fall apart because somebody takes an extra half hour for lunch to go and see a friend the other side of London or whatever and it also you know it's not just flexible hours, it's also about flexible working in terms of do you want to be in the office or not? You know we're not forcing people to come back into the office. we have a great office. And a lot of people do go back in because it's a nice place to be. But some people don't because maybe they have a bit of a long commute and they've grown used to not getting on the tube. Maybe they've got a bit of lingering anxiety around COVID. I mean, this is another way we can really help people's mental health is not pressure people in any way to do things that make them uncomfortable. Um,
0: Mm.
1: You know, for the first time joining iTech, I think I've, I've been open about many aspects of my life in the past, but iTech was the first time when I had the self-assurance during the interview process to actually ask some of the very senior people in the company I met, look, this is me. I I suffer anxiety, I suffer depression, I'm an introvert, I'm not an outgoing social person, I'm not a life and soul of the party person. Am I going to fit in here? Because if the answer is no, tell me now, it's nobody's fault. And we, we won't go through with this because it wouldn't work. And actually, the two things happened. One, which was people were honest with me and said, no, it will be fine. And it's turned out to be absolutely fine. And the second thing that's happened is because I have been self-assured enough these days to say, I'm not doing that because it's just not my kind of thing. Many other people around the business, who I, some of whom I don't know other than in this context have contacted me to say it's nice to see somebody in a leadership position being individual not just in you know this way or that way but somebody who's saying actually that that thing doesn't work for me that big party doesn't work for me so I'm not going and to see the other leaders in the business go okay fine that you know that's what working your way is about Mm. I think it's been you know I'm very happy when I can I'm very happy when I can make people's lives better and that's not self aggrandizing. You know, I'm not, I'm not saving people's lives on a daily basis, but if I can do something in my work to make people's lives a little better, then why wouldn't I do it? I mean, that's ultimately what I'm there for as a leader. I'm not writing the code. Yes, I'm involved in the strategy and the road mapping and the accountability and all that, but fundamentally I see my job as an engineering leader is to give everybody the space and the encouragement and the ability to be great and then get out of their way. That's, that's what I see my job as.
0: Yeah, I think that's a very, very good point. And, um, yeah, your, your example earlier, I think there's a really apt one of, you know, the old school mentality to management and leadership would have been, right, somebody leaves it, Three thirty to go and take their dog to the groomers, as your example and yeah you know, we're going to lose that much productivity because that person's at the, the office for this amount of time and they're, they're not working and we're paying them x and they're not working their full time you know, versus the the mentality you know which i foster and believe is right that okay you might maybe lose a bit of um productivity for that day but fundamentally you know that person feels like they're valued they feel like they've got autonomy they feel more empowered you know as a result that they can live their life the the way they want to live it and you know it's only going to have a further positive impact on eventually retention and you know i think loyalty and i think you know just innovation and and creativity of of building a business where people do feel valued like they're not a another number um and you know what even if you don't get more productivity too. you don't get anything back in, in value for, as, a, as a business leader like you said you've made someone's life that much better and you've done done that thing for them and really at the end of the day all right all businesses need to make money otherwise if they don't they're, they're not going to be around for very long but you know I, i'd much rather look back you know when i retire and look back at everybody that i've had in the business and think that they've had really rewarding you know happy Careers where they've been able to have really nice, happy home lives and, and the right balance, rather than me sitting there on a on a yacht, you know, and, and everyone else being worked into the ground. Um, so, so yeah, I think work your way. It sounds like a really great policy, and I think a lot of the, the better companies out there at the moment are, are certainly thankfully introducing some of these policies now um but um but i guess you know we're obviously a recruitment company right and one of the things i was quite keen to understand from from your perspective as well is yeah we we have quite a focus as a, as a business around um you know um, employment employee diversity policies and uh, you know movements around um uh well i guess diverse diverse workforces in general but um what uh, you know, how do you Recruit and how do you kind of ensure um there is a, a diverse policy in place for for your your way of hiring
1: the, the, there's there's two aspects to it for me so I mean if we take gender diversity just because I think it's one of the easiest to measure and it's one of you know the most figures, but I do genuinely believe that one type of diversity tends to breed another, and if you take the statistic that you know depending where you read it it's something like you know 10 15% of people in tech jobs are women but only 3 5% of the developers are women that means that in the market that's the percentage they they are so you can't today or tomorrow fix that you can by looking to get groups which are underrepresented into bootcamp style things you know for people who want to train up you can look at the education system or what's happening to people in various groups as they go through education. Why are certain people not following certain paths that would lead them into that career? But ultimately, you're competing against other companies on diversity. So I think there's, there's the aspect of we all need to work collectively to get the overall diversity of the tech community up. Because that will give us all the ability to have more diverse teams because the tech community... We could wave a magic wand and say that the diversity of the tech community reflected the diversity of society exactly. Then it will be much easier for us all to have diverse teams because the candidate pool would reflect society and it would be much easier. But I don't think you can use that as an excuse for having a really undiverse team now. And so I always aim to do better than the industry average and i hold myself accountable to that because the candidates who are from groups that tend to be underrepresented in a particular industry will be attracted to and happy in and thrive in the environments which are inclusive towards them so if we create a wonderfully inclusive environment where everybody can be themselves and we are meticulous in calling each other out on anything that happens that might be non-inclusive and fixing it then we can do much better than that we we don't have to say just because it will take years to fix the problem of lack of diversity in the industry doesn't mean we should do nothing now about making it better for the people who are already in the industry and frankly all the people that are going to arrive when we fix that fundamental diversity problem mm. And I think that, you know, in all my time, I've had one dev team that was 50% female. And that was a real outlier. And yes, there are some, but because you've got the the lack of diverse people in the industry, for every team that is 50% female, there's one that hasn't got a single woman in. You know, and... But as I say, I, I think it's still important to make the environment as inclusive as possible and try to book the industry trend and try to create role models, which will help fix the fundamental problem. Because maybe one of the fundamental problems with certain groups, not pursuing careers in tech is they don't see people like themselves in tech positions so they don't feel like it's a path to pursue. So they don't go on to become the role models that inspire other people. And, you know, positive discrimination has got, a it's, it's a really bad choice of words because it's got the word discrimination in it. And it kind of conjures up images of, you know, you'd employ women and not men, or you'd employ people of this ethnicity and not that ethnicity. But what it means to me is, until we get to the point that the pool of talent in the industry we're working in accurately reflects society, we have to actively do something for the underrepresented groups. I would love that there be a day when we never have to have a drive to get more women in tech, because there's loads of women in tech, because there's loads of role models and it's a great place for women to be and they have equal opportunities, equal salary, all those things. You know fast forward however many years that's going to take, that it'd be great. But that's not where we are, and I think mm. we have to reflect that promoting, for instance, careers for women in tech is not about taking opportunities away from men. It's about taking the privileged opportunities away so that women have the same opportunities as men. No, no, no. men benefit from diversity as well.
0: Mm. Absolutely. I'm glad to say that because I was having this exact conversation with somebody um, earlier in the week and um, it was a lady who who was basically saying that she's she's offended by the women in tech movement and how, you know, when she's kind of been um, identified as a, a leader, you know, she doesn't want to be called a female leader or a female CEO and all that kind of thing. And, and you know, of course, look, everybody's got the right to their own opinion and to be offended by whatever they choose to be offended by but you know i totally agree with you that you know at the moment we can't sit here and you know you've got to, you can't wave a magic wand but you've got to be the change that you want to see in the world and until the point at which like you said there is that genuine equality um you know it is something that you you have to highlight you have to draw attention to and you have to proactively work to get to that that point and Um, yeah and and I and in all honesty in all all transparency I I probably for a large portion of my career wasn't really aware of it or wasn't really honestly as a a white male myself wasn't really bothered by it because I guess I was in a situation where I'd never had any kind of discrimination necessarily against me or anything like that but it's something as I've uh, you know become older and become a father and and dad of two daughters you know the, the equal opportunities piece is something that is obviously very emotionally um you know engaged for me now and charged and it's something that, that has become more on my radar and it's only really when you actually do start to take note you, you sort of see what really does need to be done um you know to kind of take these steps forward and, and i think your point game earlier to you know we can't wave for magic wand because the distribution of the market is what it is statistically you know not every team can have a 50 50 um diverse balance but championing you know um and, and and putting people in these positions to to aspire to and drawing attention to those people um, and i think it does start at much more of a fundamental level like you said i think we had the first time we spoke you know, about education and actually the part that has to play in in the the route that people eventually take uh, as well but uh and it's, it's to be honest
1: again the diversity is is a good benchmark because it's one where that tends to be kind of information about people that you kind of probably know as an HR team so it's easy to measure it. When it comes to things such as, um, you know, gender identity, you know, is somebody trans or not? Um, When it comes to sexuality, when it comes to other aspects, it's much harder to measure. Um, But equally, we mustn't forget those things as well. You know, getting more women into tech is really important. For some reason, we tend to have maybe even higher than society's percentage of LGBTQ plus people in tech. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to dive into the amateur psychology of why that would be, but we need to make sure that everybody is represented. And you, you might think that actually, you know, me being openly gay in tech is fine. 2022 now, surely It's fine. Well, it is because, you know, there's compared with many places in the world, there's legislation and safeguards in place to mean that I can't lose my job because of it, which, you know, you can even in some states of America still. Um, But as recently as starting at iTech, and iTech is a a brilliant company for this, but the pension provider sent through my pension statement, which is, you know, this is how much you're paying into your pension and this is how much you will get when you retire if you pay this in. Throughout it was talk about how much my wife would get. And I think nobody's nobody's life is going to be irreparably changed by that one thing, but people's lives will be irreparably changed by a constant barrage of those small things. And I'm not under any illusions that, as a white man, I get quite a lot of privilege points already. and you know, I'm not going to talk on behalf of women, but what I'm going to encourage people to do, who you know, like you said, I was unaware of what it's like for women in the world and in tech even, is ask them honestly, you know, find find some people you you trust and just have that conversation and, and listen when they tell you what it's like. Um, you know, I, I've been talking a lot about uh, LGBTQ plus representation and inclusion in the workplace and about, you know neurodiversity people with mental health issues um they're important as well and i think what we need to do is listen to the people with the lived experience and not second guess what would be best for them
0: yeah yeah i absolutely agree with that as well yeah i think that's a, that's a very good point well, Dan, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you and a really genuinely refreshing conversation and I mean that and I think I can see why you would be an incredibly good leader to work with and, and, and for. And um you know, I, I really resonate with a lot of what you said and uh you yeah, know I think it's uh let's say refreshing is the best word I can use to describe it to be honest. And um yeah, I guess I like to end every podcast, if I may, by and um, the same question I always ask people is, you know, do you have one favorite bit of advice that you know you can share to your uh, your fellow humankind?
1: Be clear what you will compromise on and what you won't compromise on, and never compromise on that. Decide how much of yourself you want to be, and never compromise on that.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. I guess it's one of those things that you become clearer and clearer on the older and probably more sure of yourself. I guess you become. But I think, uh, like I say, knowing what you're prepared to compromise on, what you're not, and staying true to yourself, I think, can be a a real source of either fulfilment in life or or real you know discontent, can't it? Uh, constantly living outside of your. Uh,
1: I think it can be easy. To find yourself in a situation where you convince yourself you're okay with what's happening around you, with decisions that are being made, with your work-life balance, with the impact of your work on your mental health, with the impact of your work on your family, with whatever it is. And it can incrementally change so you don't notice every individual change. But I think it's important to, to know the things that, if these things are ever true, I'm not going to accept it. Mm. Yeah. And I think one for me is, you know, school wasn't a great time for me. And I remember I used to dread Sunday nights because it was going back to school. I would never stay in a job where I dreaded every Sunday night. If I found myself on a Sunday night thinking, Sunday, I want to stay up late so I can prolong the weekend because I don't want to go to work tomorrow. If I thought that every Sunday, I wouldn't stay in the job.
0: Mm. Yeah it's having that awareness isn't it um, and actually having that honest conversation with yourself because I've been in that situation and I, and I think a lot of people have and, and unfortunately for a lot of people it is still you know programmed into their mind that's just part of life you know you do a job nine to five that you don't enjoy and uh, I just think it like I say going back to the ethos of what our business stands for it's like it doesn't actually have to be that way but you've got to be honest with yourself and be brave enough i guess to, to have that conversation with yourself and... yeah
1: the, the the cost of a of the cost of a workplace which has a detrimental effect on our mental health is often greater than the benefit we get from being there you know you wouldn't allow somebody to pay you to physically injure you most people wouldn't but somehow we've come to accept that it's fine to have a day at work so stressful every day that you need to drink a bottle of wine when you get home of an evening. It's like, no, if you're needing to do that to cope with a day at work, then the problem is the the work. Um, and yeah, I... Sorry, I screwed that up, didn't I? No, not at all. You can cut it there before I screwed it
0: up. No, I, I think it was a very I good point. And I, I totally agree. I totally agree with you as well. Um But... um We'll get, in, we'll get into the, uh, the outro a bit then, but but no, Dan, genuinely thank you very much for your time, uh, really enjoyed the conversation, and uh, yeah, I, I, um, I think you'll go on, I'm sure you will go on and achieve big and, and very wonderful things uh, in your role at iTech and, and, and beyond, so thank you for, for coming with us and sharing your story, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people will got, got a lot of value out of it. Cool, thank you very much, it's been an absolute pleasure. Take care, speak to you soon.